0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now, let's dig deeper. Hello and welcome back or welcome for the first time, the last the second time, or maybe you've been with us for quite a while, but we're grateful to have you along for this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and it's great to be back at the table today with Tim Cockrell. Uh, Tim shared from Exodus chapter 2 this past weekend, and that message will be the focus of our discussion today. So, Tim, we're back for round two of what Looks to be a full, full round or full set of rounds in this discussion of Exodus. But today we're hearing the introduction to Exodus of the early Hebrew nation that is going from Egypt and moving slowly, we will <laughs> see, into the promised land. But uh, specifically, we're learning about today about the making of a man, Moses
1: absolutely um, you have the deliverer who is is born in really some dark and difficult circumstances but we see man God's fingerprints just all over the story and
0: it, it's fascinating uh, the, the writer and we believe the writer of this to be Moses wrote most of the Pentateuch uh, there will be times uh, that's the first five books of the Bible that is there will be times later on where we'll see I think that uh, there were he had a little help mm-hmm. uh, particularly after his death but uh, uh, which was good but anyway Anyway, uh, Tim, you made a point uh, a couple of times there in verses 3 through 10 or 1 through 10. Mm-hmm. That Moses' mother showed great faith as she was placing that basket. Uh, you said that that uh, word for basket was the same uh, word or a related word to what we see in Noah with ark, the mm-hmm. ark, but a, a, a vessel. She placed that in the water, trusting that God might bring her hope for her baby's safety to fruition. And, and you also reminded us that God doesn't always act in that way. He doesn't always bring about things that we say. Hey, take care of my baby. Take care of my child. Take care of my husband, my wife, mm-hmm. my brother, sister, mother, father. Sometimes children or others get hurt. They sometimes even die. Sometimes they're born with things that we don't know how to deal with. You've been through this more than most, and we trust their safety and trust their safety to God, but. How can we talk about scriptural principles like this? and, And how should we view them, principles that God will take care of things when sometimes in our thought processes, it seems like he doesn't.
1: Right. Well, I think it's important to remember first and foremost that the fact that God is accomplishing redemption doesn't eliminate suffering from that equation. In fact, Jesus over and over again tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, Do not be surprised when you are facing persecution and difficulty. And so when we recognize that God's grand plan of redemption is being accomplished in a broken world, it shouldn't surprise us then when we feel the, the shards of that brokenness, if you will, pressing into our hearts, into our, our consciousness. And so I think when we think about prayer or think about trust, We pray with boldness. You know, God tells us to to ask boldly, come before his throne boldly because we know it's a throne of grace. But we do so ultimately with an open hand that says, God, I trust you to do what is good. And many times what we think is we know what's good, right? What's good is that you bring healing in the situation. What's good is that you, you bring resolution to this frustration that I'm dealing with.
0: Or what's good is what I want,
1: maybe. That, that often is what it ends up being equated to. But many times, I mean, think about all the times in Scripture where what seemed good to that individual wasn't what God's plan was because he was working a greater plan. And so I love the passage. I think it's in Daniel 3 as, uh, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they're, they're threatened you know, the, with death if they don't bow down. And they say, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, We will serve the Lord. And I think that's the posture that God calls us to, is to say, God, I know that you are powerful, and I know that you are good, and I know you love, you know, we're talking about children. We we know you love our children even more than we do. And so we're asking you to work in this way, but even if you don't, we trust that you are still good. And I think that's especially hard in a situation like with a prodigal child, because we see that child making choices that is running away from the Lord, rejecting perhaps the, the training and teaching and upbringing that they've been given. But we also trust that God is able to soften the hardest heart. He's able to bring that prodigal home. And so I think he calls us to just keep praying and keep trusting, even when it doesn't feel good to us in that moment.
0: We've talked regularly on the podcast about the idea of disciplining ourselves, and part of that disciplining goes to disciplining ourselves to think, to remember the right things even when we're not feeling them. Uh, I I think of what Job says uh, there in the the second chapter of Job, I think, Mm -hmm. where he says, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to have that sung at my funeral, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping somebody might grieve when I'm gone, but <laughs> Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. He took me in his timing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I walked in on my daughter watching a movie last night, and if I had just looked at that one scene that I happened to look mm-hmm. up and see there on the, f- the television on the wall, I would have painted a totally different picture of what I than what I know that movie to be about. Mm-hmm. That one scene is just uh, a part, but it was playing a bigger a part in the bigger whole.
1: Absolutely, and I think one of the dangers that we can run into is the danger of comparison. Mm. You know, so okay, this family had a child who was sick, and and they prayed, and that child was healed. Or this person had a, a mother who was dealing with cancer, and they prayed, and she when it went into remission. So God, why didn't you do that for me? You know, God, why why does my story look so much different? And, and I just can't help but think about in John 21 when, when Peter is walking with Jesus and Jesus is is reinstating and restoring him and and John is walking a little further away and, and and Peter says, Well, what about John? And and Jesus says, What concern is that to you? And just recognizing that God's plan of redemption is going to look different. In different situations. And the comparison is so often the thief of joy and, and erodes our faith in God's character.
0: So how do we have joy then in those times when, okay, we can try to convince ourselves and sometimes we have to do a pretty good job mm-hmm. to get there, that God is working a bigger plan. All things work together. Yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. all mm-hmm. things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. What are some practical advice uh, pieces of advice you can give to somebody when they're in what appears to be the opposite of that? This doesn't seem to be working out for good, Lord.
1: Right. I think the key is to not just follow our heart, hmm. because our heart's always going to lead us in in dangerous and, and selfish, honestly, directions. So reinforcing truth, you know, continuing to saturate our minds with the truth of the Bible, the truth of, of God's character, and recognizing that joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's an orientation of our heart that keeps in mind the big picture. So yes, we may be experiencing, let's say, a suffering brokenness of our body here on this earth, but this isn't our eternal body. This isn't our eternal home. Yes, we may be experiencing this strained relationship but ultimately, if that person's a Christian, we're going to experience eternity with that person in, in heaven in a restored relationship. And so sometimes I think we can get so focalized on the suffering or pain that we're dealing with that that we act as if this body is the only body we'll ever have, or th- or this life is the only life we'll ever have, or this money is the only riches we'll ever have. But joy is choosing to orient our perspective to the bigger picture and the hope that we have in Christ. Tim, we tell the
0: story of, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife's grandfather, uh, her mother's father, John Thompson, who was a little five foot six, five foot seven guy. He was a pistol, and he loved the Lord, and he was a preacher of God's word. He was a uh, just a minister of of uh, of God's joy, really. Mm. He was eighty two years old. His lungs racked with cancer. Never smoked a day in his life. Lungs racked wow. with cancer, and he's laying there in the hospital bed, and the doctors are all talking about what is it with this guy? He seems so happy. He's telling people about his, his religion up until he died. But it's because his orientation was right. He was not on his circumstances, but you know, on Christ.
1: Yep. And, and I think one of the dangers, the, the questions that often comes to our mind is this isn't fair. You know, <laughs> yes. it isn't fair that I'm going through this or it isn't fair that my marriage is struggling like this. And even there, our our choice of joy has to focus on what fair really would be. Oh, let's it, not go there. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it roots us in God's grace so that even if that grace doesn't feel good to us in that moment, it's a grace that has secured us eternally, and that does. It gives us hope in those moments that, from a worldly perspective, should lead someone to a sense of bitterness or despair.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on here. Something peculiar. I'm reading the uh, reading this topic or this passage over again here as I was preparing for our time together. I find it interesting that in chapter 2, in that narrative, you know, we're going to be talking about Jochebed and, uh, and Amram. We're going to be talking about Miriam and Aaron as we go on. Mm-hmm. But none of Moses' family is named. In fact, it talks about a woman, a man mm-hmm. of the tribe of Levi. It mm-hmm. talks about the sister of this little baby. But in fact, it isn't. Even until chapter six, when the writer of, of the book shares a brief history of the tribe of Levi that Moses even mentions his own parents' names. that's mm-hmm. Amram, his father and Jochebed his mother. Why wouldn't they be mentioned here? It's just a peculiarity I wanted to, wanted to ask you about.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, we don't know for certain, but I, I have a hunch. Um, one, it mentions them specifically as both descendants of Levi. And that's the detail he feels like is important to include. And so I think what that's doing is saying, look, it's not that there's something special about this man or something special about this woman. It's that they are part of God's covenant people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're descendants of Abraham who were recipients of God's covenant promises. And so it kind of highlights... The, the covenant that we're going to see unfolding as God protects his people and, and ultimately rescues them from Egypt. Secondly, I think there's also a place where it could be kind of a literary device where the only name that's included in our text here is the name of Moses. And so it, it's focusing on... And our, Levi. And Levi, but in terms yep. of the only name of the characters in the story right. itself. Is Moses that kind of is, is centering your attention on... There's something special about this child. There's an anticipation that all this suffering that we read about in chapter one and, and all this tension that kind of is unfolding in chapter two is preparing us for Moses, who will be a central character in this book.
0: Very interesting. There is a member of our church who has uh, uh, conducted a class in the past, and I think maybe even just recently uh, about the Bible as literature, mm-hmm. and it is a fascinating study. Some of this you talk about literary devices. Mm-hmm. So, okay, one of our regular uh, listeners they shared a question uh, from their adult Bible fellowship here this past week about your suggested timeline of Moses's early life, and they wrote, uh, "Where did Tim get his time frame for Moses's life? That is 18 to 10 years living with Jochebed and Amram and up to 40 years living in Pharaoh's court. Can you provide some
1: clarification on that? Absolutely. So the 40 years is the easiest one, because in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Stephen, as he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, recounts that when Moses was 40 years old, that was when he went out and saw the the Israelite being beaten by the Egyptian taskmaster, and that that then set into motion another 40 years of preparation out into the wilderness. The the figure of 8 to 10 years, we don't know for certain, but there is some historical record that would suggest that it was around that 8 to 10 years mark that uh, children began to be taught and trained in the Egyptian court. And So if you imagine, if Moses was a preschooler coming into the court, it's very unlikely that Pharaoh's daughter, for instance, would have been troubled by all the, the parenting responsibilities of parenting a preschooler, even if he was weaned in terms of, of the, the technical aspect of it. And so I think it's just reasonable to suggest. It's also based on the fact that Moses seems to have an identity and an understanding of who he is as a Hebrew, even to where he's when he's 40 years old. He wants to go out and see the plight of his people is the way it's described in the text, which I think suggests that it was more than just those really early years, but that maybe we get into some of the elementary years that shaped his understanding of who God was and who he was.
0: A big shout out to the Koinonia ABF. We appreciate your adult Bible fellowship sharing that question. So uh, Tim, I, I appreciated your encouragement that we that we don't always impact the world most by what we do as much as what who we raise and train Uh, you made that comment and and you and i have seen many during our lives and i'm afraid maybe i'm one of them uh, you can make the determination as to whether you who seem to be striving to succeed more than striving to serve god where is the balance Uh, you know moses was was Striving in in many ways, you you reference this to do it his way. But where's the balance in serving God, and, and how can we be disciplining ourselves to have the right goals and attitudes?
1: Mm. Yeah, there's a, a quote by a pastor. I'm not remembering who it was, but said, "You know, one of my greatest fears in life is that I will get to the end and realize that I've succeeded, but succeeded in the wrong things." Wow. And and I think that is it really gets to the crux of what we need to be thinking about, and that is. What is success? You know, biblically speaking, eternally speaking, where should our priority be? And so obviously, God's called us to, to be diligent in our workplace, to be uh, people of integrity. But I think there's a, an emphasis here in what I was trying to bring out on Sunday, that we are called first and foremost to be ministering in the context of our family. And I think even as a pastor, I'll confess, there's times where I can prioritize, oh, there's this sermon I need to preach, you know, that's real ministry, or there's this discipleship group I'm going to help lead. But the discipleship of, of my family, my children, even, you know, the partnership with my wife, that is my first and most important ministry. And if I fail at that, nothing else really matters. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why in First Timothy chapter 3, when it's giving qualifications for elders, it says he must manage his household well, that I need to be leading and loving my family and my children in a way that points them to Jesus with an authentic example, with with humility on my part. And And so as we think about it, I think that then helps calibrate our perspective on those other things. So, for instance, if being successful at work means I can't be, be there in formative moments for my kids, then that's not a success I'm willing to sacrifice for. You know, if being uh, prominent in positions at church mean that I can't be investing in my family in the way that God's called me to, then I maybe need to reorient my priorities. Now, obviously, there's going to be seasons in which that's going to look different. But I think for me personally, that's how I try to orient my my goals and priorities to just say, Am I investing in the right and most important things? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of things that we can do that are good things, but are not the most important things.
0: I had an individual uh, talk to me here. It's been a number of weeks ago and said, I know what I want to do at Grace. I know what I'd love to do. But just see, it's so clogged at that area, that area yes. of ministry. And, uh, but it's where I tend to shine, which where I tend to move towards naturally. He said, what should I do? And I, I told him, I said, you know what? I said, there is so much, even at a place like Grace, a church mm-hmm. like Grace, where we, are, we have so many very capable people. Mm-hmm. We have so many needs as well. I said, ask people in leadership. What isn't getting done? Mm. Be willing to do the menial Mm -hmm. task. Said if you're looking to have an opportunity, maybe one day to be in that area that that you feel is your, you know, your heart's beat. Mm -hmm. uh, Be faithful in that which is least. I mean, doesn't Jesus say he who is faithful in that which is least shall be faithful also in much? Mm -hmm. And uh, people will see what you are doing, and and you may get that opportunity. I just. I don't know if it was you or if it was somebody else gave the illustration, Tim. Um, am I going to be the power boat that gets from A to B, or am I going to be the sailboat hmm. and let God take me where he wants? Hmm. And that was that's a great illustration to me to remind me, okay, it's not what I want. It's mm-hmm. what the Holy Spirit is going to guide me towards as I allow God to guide me and
1: use me where the need is. Absolutely. Well, I think even in our story, we see a number of people just being faithful in the little things that has an immense impact on, on the redemption story. Ironically, it's all women. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you see the way that, that Jochebed, Pharaoh's daughter, and Miriam, and even um, the Pua and Shipra, the, the midwives right. from chapter one. And that's where I would just encourage people. I understand the, the you know, menial tasks and the small ministry type of language, but there is, there is no none. small ministry when we're doing it for the Lord because it's not ultimately what we're doing but who we're doing it for. And I just so appreciate it. A couple of weeks ago we had a, <laughs> a member join, Sarah Liz Myers, that right. she was sharing her testimony. She said, you know, there was a college student that was serving in children's ministry that led me to the Lord. She didn't even know her name or at least didn't mention it. But, you know, who knows how God might use those, those simple investments through long-term faithfulness. To build his kingdom in ways that we couldn't imagine,
0: and let's not forget a guy like Tom Carr, who's sitting right here at this table two weeks ago, mm-hmm. said it was the it was a, a teacher, yep. elementary school, in our church, uh, primary uh, age children who regularly had missionaries mm-hmm. in, and they got boots on the ground experience just supporting and encouraging those who were doing some of those <clears throat> what we would consider big things it led tom to be considering, considering how god might use him in missions absolutely exactly so hey a good segue here into this next uh, this next topic i want to discuss we, we read in verses 11 through 15 that moses was trying to do god's will his own way killing the egyptian taskmaster when he was beating the the hebrews slave uh, rebuking the hebrews who were arguing and fighting and and that God used this wrong thinking of Moses to force him into a for lead him we'll say into a 40 year exile in in the uh, region of midian you called it his season of preparation i, I know that we have listeners today who, who have gone through or perhaps are in the midst of their own seasons of preparation what advice would you give to one in
1: such a situation right now Yeah, that's hard because there's so many different types of seasons of preparation. You know, sometimes, and I think this is the case in Moses' life, where that season of preparation is one that comes after a season of sin. You know, and mm. that there's a, a period of healing and, and redemption and, and recognition of of where my heart has deceived me, and and so in many cases that then is a, a process of humility. I, I think Moses spent the first forty years of his life getting convinced he was somebody, and the next <laughs> forty years realizing actually I'm a nobody. We all need that, don't we? Exactly, and then that was what prepared him to see what God can do with the nobody, you know, to really see God's power revealed. But I mean, a few different just general principles as we think about a season of preparation. I think first and foremost is resist the urge to rush it. Mm. You know, for all of us, we don't like being in the waiting room, right? We, we want to get to that next thing. And we live in this microwave generation where we, we want things to happen quickly. We want to understand the reasons. And many times God doesn't show us. Many times he he conceals his purposes rather than revealing them. And so I like to use the phrase, make sure that we learn the lesson while we're in the classroom. Make sure that we are drawing near to the Lord, asking him to show us what he wants to teach us in that season.
0: But, But Tim, everybody tells me, plan, plan, get know where you're going, plan for it and do everything you can to get there. That seems to go totally against what I hear everywhere.
1: Well, but I think they can be complementary. You know, in Proverbs, it says, man plans his own way, but the Lord directs his steps. I don't think God wants us to just be purely passive and say, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here in the wilderness until I have a, a burning bush experience, let's say. But that ultimately what we're doing is we're not the one in control. We're not the one who's going to bring this thing about. And I'll speak for myself, many times I want to be my own rescuer. I want to be <laughs> the, the ruler or lord in my own life that then tries to seize control, have the answers and bring about my will in my way. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think seasons of preparation often then humble us, recognize our need and dependence, help us to realize that we are relatively insignificant but that God is the one who's going to be the source of our sufficiency. Because once we get to that point, we're ready to go where he calls us. We're ready to do what he calls us to do. And ultimately, we're ready to give him the glory because it can't be attributed to us. It has to be attributed to him.
0: And it sounds like using taking that a step further, it sounds like you're saying that once he gives us something, if he does, Mm -hmm. more significant in the world's Mm -hmm. eyes— we will hopefully remember who is the one guiding that ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the one filling those sails that we've put up? Right.
1: Well, and I think it just orients our heart to focus on God's character and not our circumstances mm-hmm. because I think the danger in focusing on our circumstances is that when our circumstances are good, we're prone to think I'm kind of something, you know, look at how I've worked or how, you know, this has has produced a result that I can be proud of and when circumstances are bad, then we're prone to despair and say, you know, woe is me and, and this isn't fair. But if our focus is on God's character, then regardless of whether things are going really well or things are going really poorly, we say, my trust is in you. My focus is beyond just the immediate and, and to the ultimate or the eternal.
0: anything And lest anything, anybody take one comment that you made the wrong way. Uh, not all of these times of preparation, these uh, desert experiences, these Midian experiences are because of sin. I think of David, Mm -hmm. I think of Joseph, uh, Daniel. No one can say it was corporate sin that led him to Babylon, but let's face it, uh, these are all three examples of individuals who were put into situations not of their own choosing. In Mm -hmm. fact, uh, David, for example, would never have thought he could even be considered uh, as king, but they were put in situations of desert wanderings of their own and uh, through no reason that they could point to.
1: Right, and I think that's a really important clarification that some of how we view that, that time of preparation is, one, ask God, you know, is there sin here in my life that needs to be revealed? But recognizing, you know, when Paul was saved, he spent three years out in the wilderness being prepared. Even Jesus himself, you know, 30 years of life and carpentry before he ever began his public ministry, and this was the son of God, but he labored in relative obscurity until the time was right for him to begin serving.
0: And I'm guessing that, each, that in each of these circumstances, 10 years in, in a four, given a, a given 40 year span, perhaps, mm-hmm. 10 years in, 12, 15, these guys are thinking, okay, enough is enough, mm-hmm. I'm ready, I'm ready. I've been in those experiences, those situations where, okay, God, I'm ready.
1: But God knows the right timing. He does. Well, and I I love the fact that in this next chapter, in chapter three, we get to God calling Moses and telling Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt. And Moses says, Who am I that that I would go to Pharaoh? And I think that tells you it's complete. He's learned the lesson in the classroom. And, and what I love about that then is God doesn't respond by saying, "Moses, there's nobody who'd be better equipped than the, than you." You think about all your qualifications. He says, "Moses, I'm going to yeah, be." You're right. You. <laughs> I'm going to be with you. Yeah, you're nothing, but I'm everything. And that's really kind of the point. Great, great.
0: Well, well, let's go back and we're going to a little bit of a retread of discussion. But I think it's worth going back to, Tim, the, the, the truths you share in verses 23 through 25, specifically that God knows and God remembers. Those were two phrases you used. God knows and God remembers. I got to tell you, it, it hit a chord with me. It was really precious. Sandy and I, uh, my wife, have had to recite these principles to ourselves during child rearing, mm-hmm. during financial matter, mm-hmm. you know, times that were maybe not what we had. Well, definitely not what we w- would have hoped. Sure. Uh, during times with you know, uh, whether it's other family members, uh, uh, work t- related matters, career related, and, and we've had to recite these. And most often, it was when we least felt. The truth in our hearts Mm -hmm. and uh, it reminds me once again of the need for each of us to be storing up these truths in our hearts when we do see them clearly so that even when we aren't feeling it we can call on those old certainties those old uh, age old infinitely long Mm -hmm. certainties that god is in control i just got it i think it's a good place to end
1: it is because all of our hearts in those moments of pain, in those times of suffering, are prone to despair, are prone to ask the, the why me and, and this isn't how fair. How long, Lord? Exactly, how long? And, and I think that's a part of living in a broken world. But I think what we have to be careful is to not allow our heart to lead, but rather that we lead our heart. That it's, it's the, the emotions, if you will, are the caboose of the train and not the engine. And, and I think we do that by filling our mind and reinforcing in our heart the truth of God that we are, are reminded of his character. We're reminded of his promises, reminded of his grace, even his faithfulness in the past. Because I've got to be honest, sometimes in times of suffering or anxiety, it's because I'm being forgetful. I forget how God has been so good and so faithful and proven himself time and time again. Because when we're in the midst of the valley, it can be tempting to think of God as distant or indifferent. But God has shown his faithful care in our lives in so many ways. And so even just that simplicity of the way that chapter two ends, and he knows. He knows our situation. He's intimately acquainted with with our sleepless nights and our tears and our anxious questions that we're wrestling with. But he isn't indifferent. He cares and he's at work, maybe in ways that we can't see. But just resting in those truths, I think, draws us deeper into faith in his promises in his plan, but ultimately in his character as God.
0: I can't help but go back, and I, I said that the phrase, How long, Lord? Mm-hmm. It just takes me back to Psalm chapter 13, the 13th Psalm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this in our adult Bible fellowship class here two weeks ago, and it, I think it's just so good. Got to read this, Tim. David says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. And it goes on here, and uh, my enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Mm. It's okay to, is it is it okay to ask how long? Is it okay to wonder, God, where are you?
1: Absolutely. I think the psalmist does a great job of, of modeling for us what that looks like, is to say, God, why? This is but, what I'm feeling. right. But ultimately, I trust in you. Mm. you know, the, These are the longings of my heart. These are the hurts that I'm experiencing. But I'm settled in my confidence that you are faithful, you are good, and that you are working your good plan, even if it doesn't feel good to me in this moment. Great. Anything else you uh, that's on your mind you want to share? No, I, I think this has been a, a really helpful discussion. I just – I so appreciate the book of Exodus. And, you know, sometimes when we think about the Old Testament, we think of it as just old, you know, outdated. So distant. Stories, Sunday school time. Exactly. So distant yeah. and separated from what we're experiencing in, yeah. in 21st century America. But when we see God's patterns of, of grace and faithfulness, his power to redeem – people in a helpless situation, and it just brings it right into our lives today.
0: Well, and next week, we're going to come to a topic. Josh Taylor is going to be leading us in our study, but a an absolutely pivotal Old Testament story that actually it not only uh, – it has great theology, certainly, but it will set the tone. It tells us who god is
1: absolutely it's so rich in its theology and
0: we rely on this today even our bibles The word we use for Lord is spelled a certain way because of this passage in chapter three of Genesis. Looking forward to having that discussion here next week with Josh Taylor. But for this week, Tim Cockrell has been my guest for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon from Exodus chapter two, and you can access that message on YouTube by searching Grace Baptist Church, Cedarville, Ohio, and you can access past Digging Deeper in Grace podcast episodes by using your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecederville.org on the world wide web and clicking podcast on the media tab we also encourage you like the koinonia adult bible fellowship did this week to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. that's contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in Exodus chapter 3. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at graceCedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.